Shane Van Gisbergen takes out the Supercars Championship. The Festival of Speed is on at Mount Panorama this weekend, and Gen 3 of Supercars is an exciting prospect. All this and more on this episode of the Racing Line Podcast. Good evening, guys, and welcome to episode 13 of the Racing Line podcast. Um, good evening, gents. How are we going? Good, mate. How are you? Yeah, well, good thank mate. you. Good. Guys, today we've got something a little bit different to talk about. Um, if you've been following us on socials and you look at the um, profile picture and the cover photos, etc., you'll shit. see... What? I think my internet shit. I'm we, we, we can, no, we're getting you. Ah. We're getting you. That's right, don't worry. It's all good. We'll keep going. We'll keep going. All right. So um, if you've seen our profile pick, you'll notice that, we t- that we've got Formula One, IndyCar, MotoGP, and Supercars. And we've t- spoken and had a p- podcasts about all three of the other. But we haven't really discussed any Supercars up to this point. Right? And obviously, moving into 2022, the plan is to um, put a lot more focus into um, Australia's favourite racing series. Um, but what we thought we'll do this weekend, and it's kind of good that there's no Formula One to talk about as well, is we would talk about the last few rounds of the Supercars Championship um, since it resumed four weeks ago at Eastern Creek, and then to preview um, the Bathurst 1000, Australia's biggest race, coming up next weekend. And then obviously there's a few questions that um, we'll get into as well um, that Harry's brought up, etc. So we're going to jump straight into it. And Joey, you're going to be essentially facilitating the conversation tonight so where would you like to begin mate well firstly i'd like to begin with the fact that it's not called eastern creek anymore now it's called sydney motorsport park so let's get on the lingo as we are professional journalists um where were they racing in what suburb were they racing at sydney motorsport park anyway anyway, semantics boys semantics anyway regardless so I think uh, the the return of the supercar season this year was was much heralded, but also I think uh, looking at the the month of racing that we had there, I've had discussions with Anthony about it already, about how the whole layout of the four weeks, I suppose, panned out in hindsight. Uh, so we had four weekends back-to-back at um, Sydney Motorsport Park with... Uh, not much variance in the way that the actual races panned out in terms of the lengths, but there was a bit of variance in sort of tire strategy and, um, and, and stuff like that. So I think the first weekend they had, they ran one variation of the tire and then the, before we even go there, let's just start with like the, let's go right back to basics. Who impressed us? Not even that. So that we, we had a number of sprint events to, to begin the, the month of racing. So there was three, super sprint format races and for those that might not know what that is a super sprint is essentially a 125 kilometer race um over the three week meetings they were using different tire variants so either the super soft the soft or the hard um they had in the races you know they had to run you know two types of the tire and they only had a certain amount of allocation but i think um something that we spoke about a few times over the last month joe is that with the venue that they had available, they probably could have done a lot more to kind of spice up the racing week by week. I mean, Sydney Motorsport Park has three variations to the track as it is. Um, and we kind of thought 
you know, when they announced the resuming of racing um, and that they'd be racing, you know, four events at Sydney, uh, that they might kind of try to change things up just so that each week there's a slightly different spectacle. It's not the same. There might be some um, layouts that suit teams better than others because I think what we kind of got was a month of racing with the teams that are traditionally strong at Sydney Motorsport Park were strong um, and the teams that are traditionally struggle a little bit more there even though they improved over the course of the month um, probably you know didn't get the most out of that month of racing what do you guys think of the track there I love it I think it's um I, I always think it's the best um in terms of just the layout, the, the best uh, sort of purpose track in, in Australia. If, if That's just not even me being biased. I think just if you look at the layout and um, how fast it is, but also it just, it just flows so naturally. I, I really love it. I think it's an amazing track. I, kind of, I tend to agree with you there, Joe, to be honest with you. I mean, Australia has a lot of, you know, obviously a lot of purpose-built tracks that we, that we race at. Some of them are definitely better than others. Um, in relation to just general configuration and the kind of racing that it brings about. Um, but I think, you know, if we think about the history of SMP and previously Eastern Creek, it used to host, you know, MotoGP races before they went back to Phillip Island. Um, so it's obviously a purpose-built world-class facility. Um, and I think that you see that in the racing and, and the kind of, you know, I think that, long distance race on Saturday night, the 250 kilometer race that we saw kind of showed the best of that track to be perfectly honest with you. Um, when you can see the amount of tire degradation that is generated and the kind of racing that it facilitated, um, it was really awesome to see. And I, and I really enjoy that track. I just thought with the facility that they've got, with the fact that they've got the lights, but also that the fact that they've got multiple variations of the track that could be run. Um, I think that there was a little bit lacking and also you've got four events, why not try to mix up, you know, have one less super sprint race and have one more super night just to, try to change it up a little bit. Um, so those are the kind of things that I was thinking about the most, but all in all, the fact that we had supercars for the last month, the fact that the championship was able to continue is probably the most important thing. Um, and the reality is the fact that we're even talking about it now probably means that we're a little bit spoiled. Um, because it wasn't looking too good um, after the lockdowns in Queensland and Victoria. Um, so I'd like to hear as well from you guys, just quickly, when I talk about the track, um, what do you guys think about the actual venue in terms of like for viewing? When we went, we, we went for a walk around that whole um, bottom half on Saturday night and uh, Harry, you were there with us for quite a bit of it as well. And even the hill area, how it's a bit sort of like an amphitheater. What do you think of it in terms of viewing? Um, yeah, look, I think, you know, where you guys ended up walking to after I left probably had a bit more of a view of the rest of the track. You know, we were kind of on turn one there where it's kind of blind. You can see down the straight and it comes around to that sweeping turn one. Um, but I don't know. Did you guys see more of the track where you ended up walking to? Yeah, that should like be a much better vantage point. Yeah. So we yeah. ended up going after you left. We went from turn one to the back of turn two. And mm -hmm. we were sitting on the hill. We watched the start of the of the Saturday night, two fifty kilometer race there. Yep. And then we probably sat there for about half an hour, half an hour or so. And then we climbed over the hill to the back entry, and then we sat 
there for the um, for the rest of the race. And that was probably the best vantage point because we got to see from turn four, turn five into turn six. And then obviously as they went mm-hmm. through turn seven as well. So um, it ended up, yeah, it was, we ended up having a few good places to sit. Um, but for, for, from your point of view, being the first time you'd been back there in a while, the first time you'd probably reconnected with supercars in a couple of years as well. Um, did it kind of give you the buzz that you were expecting? Yeah, oh, I think I'm getting back into it for sure. I was watching a few of the highlights again this afternoon. Um, and I, I love it. They get so close. You know, they're hitting each other. You know, it's it's really good wheel-to-wheel racing. Um, and, and the cars just look awesome. You know, I, I don't know why I stopped watching it. I used to love it back in the day with Scafi and Lounsey and all those. And I think Garth Tander was at the top of his game back in the day. And, you know, HRT was still a thing. Um and then I kind of stopped watching it for, for a long time. But, um, yeah, I think next year, definitely going to get back into it. And I think it's a good time as they're 2023, they're going into Gen 3. So it's a good time to reconnect. What about yourself, Mick? You came a little bit later, but you invested in some merchandise, which was which shows your <laughs> commitment to, to the series. How did you find that night? Yeah, look, um, obviously, supercars... As, it, uh, as they're known now, I haven't really been, I'm, pre, I'm like Harry in a way, haven't really been paying attention to it, I'd say, for like, I'd say five years, um, maybe six. I think I lost interest when, I started to lose interest when I knew that Holden and Ford, as they were, as they were known, um, were going to leave. So, um, yeah, I have definitely not been paying attention for like three, four, five years. But going last week was was fun um you know joseph's gone on about the name of the track i think it was a pretty cool track um i haven't been there since we were kids so i i really enjoyed it i think i don't think it's got the um the nostalgia or the you know the international fame of bathurst but it's it's it seems like a like a much more accessible venue that's for sure um easy to walk around good vantage points pretty cheap um entry wasn't too too pricey um i'd like to go there for an event um to see the, the whole place packed because it was you know it, it was it was pretty pretty busy but it wasn't like packed packed so it'd be pretty interesting to see what it'd be like absolutely packed for a massive event but um no, I think I a few people it. would have been turned away because of the rain as well, or the threat yeah. of rain all day. Yeah, I get, I get even that. us, we were kind of last minute, like, let's just go and see what happens. And the fact there was three um, events three weeks before. Yeah, that's the other thing. Normally, you've yeah. got one weekend of racing there, and everyone kind of just goes to the one. Yeah. Nah, but, but to, to honestly, yeah, in all honesty, I think I um I can get back onto the get back onto the the whole bandwagon of it. Um, Tom, you know. Talking to Thomas today, and he was saying that Camaros will be coming in soon. So if it's, if it becomes like a Camaro Mustang thing, um, I suppose it's there's a bit of interest there for me because it's kind of like two brands that are historically pitted against each other. So yeah, I found it. Joey found it interesting. What have you found amusing? It's the, the way he's speaking about it. <laughs> What's so funny? <laughs> I don't know. It's just very, very um, matter of fact. I, don't know, I just 
it hasn't been something that's, that I would say I've been massively enthused about for years. I, I mean, I watch Bathurst, but that's about it. I've, I can't remember the last time I watched a, a like a just a normal round of of supercars. So I mean, and I can't. I'm not going to come here and pretend I know because I haven't. I haven't got the background. So I'd like to just watch a full season, learn some of the races, the the brands, the 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 rate, the drivers, and and then go from there next year. Who who have you picked as a as a team to support, Michael? Oh, look, I bought a hat last week, so it looks like I'm sticking with Ampol. Nice. Ampol. HRT, Team Red Bull. Yep. Is that is that who it is now? HRT is now Team Red Bull. Yeah. Yeah, right. So Holden, or not even, sorry, not HRT anymore because Holden's pulled out. Yeah, so now yeah, it's yeah. just going to be Red Bull Ampol Racing. Um, getting into some specifics, Joe, so I guess we'll take the lead of, of the conversation from here. Thinking about the month's, racing that we've viewed I've, I've made mention already of the fact that there's obviously some teams that traditionally perform better at smp than others um brad jones racing has done well there for the last few years and they kind of did the same thing pretty much for the whole month penske um, penske or obviously Dick johnson yeah. racing now djr yeah, djr um Erebus was really strong for the whole month. I didn't expect it, but they were. Um, as a Tikuda fan, I wasn't really too impressed with the fact that we're racing for a month there. And that was pretty much um, the case. I mean, obviously, Cam Waters had an awesome race on Saturday night where he kind of um, drove the wheels off that car to even get it to finish on the podium. But by and large, um, we didn't see much variation in teams improving um, I mean, it seems like the teams that were stronger there stayed stronger and the teams that were weaker there improved in relation to the, I think, the distance from the front, but it didn't really improve um, in relation to finishing positions. So what did you think about that, mate? I think what we saw um, initially in the first week was that um, Erebus rolled off the trucks um, really locked in and also um, Dick Johnson Racing rolled off really locked in. Um like that was probably the two high, like highest rises from from the so probably the year at large. Yeah. Uh, Red Bull's been the best team this year, um, and so it was no surprise seeing them at the front. And then it was a, a surprise seeing Chaz and um and Cam struggle a bit because they've really been well. They've been what is it second and third or third and fourth for most of the year. And I don't think having the um. The, the four races back to back to back um, helped them that much in terms of their um, their championship push. And They're traditionally just, teams also that do better at street circuits. They are, but also um, with the with the short races. If you have a bad short race, fair enough. But usually you can you you head back to another track and you can sort of right the ship. Whereas when you're racing at the same track again and again and again the teams that are locked in from the start can just keep locking in where it takes the other teams a bit more time to sort of find their footing. And what we also discussed was um, in the long races, usually the cream rises to, to the top because what you lack in outright pace, you can sort of work a strategy around getting some clean air, early pit stops. And we saw that on the um, Saturday night when Tickford ran the um, – the soft tire early, soft tire early, and got a massive, a, a massive lead. And if it hadn't been for the rain late in the race, I dare say that Cam Waters would have run, would have won the race. Um, but also we saw it with um with Chaz Moster in the Walkinshaw, 
that um, they didn't run that, that strategy, but with the um, the longer the longer race and getting some clean air, you can really sort of um, stretch your legs and and do what like sort of take the um, take the onus like on the driver rather than it just being about a, a car on rails. Well, he moved and from eleventh up to I think it was third, fifth, wasn't it? Or, or fifth, third. Third, third? It was or third. Fourth. Cam Waters was third. Yeah. So. I mean, it wasn't bad weekends for for them to who um who I think we expected better from because Chaz had that second place in the week before in that rain race as well, yep. but um I feel like they suffered the most from their overall championship having to do the the four peak. Well, and I'm then looking on the, at on the flip side, um, Anton De Pasquale probably had a the best stretch of of this year and really showed what um what Dick Johnson Racing saw in him to um to bring him over this year. And also um, Will Davidson showed, um, he's probably, he's been consistent all year, but showed even more so what like Dick Johnson Racing have seen in him to bring him over as well. I'm just looking at the, so again, for people that haven't been following the supercars all season, so the four races at Sydney Motorsport Park over the last month kind of had their own Sydney Cup associated to it as well so there was a, a championship within a championship and i'm just looking at the results obviously um shane van gisbergen won the whole event that was probably due to the fact that anton had i think two races where one of them there was a pit stop issue the other one i think he was disqualified from the race um he finished in second 73 points behind which isn't a whole lot um tied with jamie wincup but fourth place went to will brown and i think that's one of the great um, stories over the last month. Erebus really have gone from being um, probably the third best team in supercars just two years ago with, you know, the Penrite backing and having Reynolds and, and um, De Pasquale to kind of losing their way a little bit. And this year they brought two young drivers in that have both shown how quick they are, but haven't really stitched it together over the course of the season. But I think what this month showed is number one, that Will Brown is, an epic racer um, and that he's also got the moxie to, to battle with those people at the front. So that was the, that was really impressive to see. Obviously Will Davison finished the round for that championship in fifth, um, which is again, good to see a driver who's, I mean, lost his drive last year through no fault of his own, just with sponsorship issues coming back in the championship and showing that he's still got what it takes. And then Nick Perkett in seventh. Um, I think um, the fact that, he is continually outperforming um, his car and the team that he's driving for. I mean, Brad Jones has a, has a tradition of, you know, pulling some races out of the bag, but, um, you know, I think with him going to Walkinshaw and Dreddy next year, they've got a, they've got an absolute steal of a driver. And I think someone that can push Cam, uh, push Chaz, um, which is what that team needs to, to keep moving forward. Um, just before we move on from that, just being at the race on Saturday Saturday night and obviously having the threat of rain, but also just the, the the fact that it was a night race, which is an awesome spectacle in and of itself. I think that was, as a fan, just an epic event to be at. I mean, constantly throughout the race, we had the live timing going. We were counting, you know, the seconds to see how much of a gap that um, Waters was able to pull on the rest of the field, knowing that they were going to come back at him at the end of the race. And I think what that race showed number one i want to see more races with a hard tire and rather than the soft the super soft just because of the the difference in delta times is 
so much more dramatic. So it doesn't matter. Like it, it, it creates more of a spectacle because the distance that's being gained and then obviously reduced is, is so much bigger. Um, but then I also think that there's a whole level of tire management that isn't so distinguished in just with the soft and, and, and a hard. So I think that was, you know, a pretty awesome thing to, to view as well and just to be there live for. I mean, it's probably the, I don't know, we've been to a few supercars races over the last few years, and I think that was by far the most memorable one to, to actually be in attendance of. Um, how did you see that? I thought that, that you, what you're saying is um, 100% correct. It was an amazing spectacle and the strategy really played into it. I also think the weekend before, there was a full uh, night race in the rain, which really demonstrated just the overall, um, sorry, the overall uh, sort of high caliber of driving that's in the championship now. I mean, I've never seen a race with that much, with that much water that there was no real incidents, which was amazing. And glare. Um, I mean, that's another thing that you got. And to then glare. In. That's right. It was it was it was, a, it was a, such a gnarly looking race, and um, and everyone drove to their credit, um, really really well, really high caliber of racing. But also from, um, what we saw on Saturday, I think in terms of the overall package, just for a um for a fan, the um the the support categories that they put on show as well mm. was really good. And I mean, um. We fell in love with those S5000 cars just because they sound so wild. Um, also touching back on quickly what you said with um, Nick Perkett and Will Brown and also I think um, the other young Erebus driver, Brody Kostecki, I think them three over the last month have really shone through as, um, I mean, they've all had very good seasons leading up to now. But I think they've really capped what's going to be the end of the season really well um, regardless what happens at Bathurst. Um, they really put their best foot forward. Um, I mean, Will Brown got his first win. I think Brody got a pole and a podium as well. Um, and I think that in terms of where we were looking at Erebus at the start of the year with these two rookie um, young kids, we can see real growth and potential for growth for the coming years as well because they've neither of them have really put a foot, foot wrong. But what do you think about what I said before about the whole spectacle of the... Um, the overall supports, huh, Harry? Yeah. I, oh, sorry. Yeah. Someone's like yeah, looking in the background or something. I um I really enjoyed the S5000. Um, that was the race where uh, Aaron Cameron came second. I can't remember who won the race. Um, there was an incident with the Valvoline car. He spun uh, at turn one. Joey Mawson tried to overtake someone, and they got they bumped into him, and he managed to battle his way through a couple of spots as well. Like it was just really good racing. Um, I really, really enjoyed that race, and the, and the Super Two cars were awesome too. Those and with the Super Three cars in the same field, I just thought that was again really good racing, really good spectacle. So, you know, across the board, I think it was really, it was a really good night. I think that's probably before we move into Bathurst. I think we'll also just make the point because we haven't really done it of, of the fact that Van Gisbergen's already won the championship going into the going into the last race of the season. So, I mean, he's had an absolutely phenomenal season it's kind of gone like clockwork for him I think in the past one thing that we have seen from Van Gisbergen is that at some events through fault of his own at times but also unforeseen circumstances he can have off weekends um, and that kind of has impacted his ability to obviously win championships against McLaughlin it probably doesn't help that McLaughlin is so good as well 
Um, but I think this year he's just put put together a a really good performance. It took I think six races for someone to to actually get a win over him, um, which is insane. But I think props have to go there. And just before we move on, I'm just looking at the championship standings just to back up a few things that we've said before. We've got obviously the two Red Bull drivers first and second. Will Davidson. Um, funnily enough, he's in third in the Supercars Championship right now, which is a really good showing considering that he's kind of been brought in there to be the number two. Then they've got Chaz and Cam in fourth and fifth. Anton Di Pasquale has moved up in the championship to sixth. And then we've got the people we're just talking about. So we've got Nick Perkat in seventh. Will Brown has moved up to eighth. Mark Winterbottom is in the top 10, which is great to see for... Um, for Team 18, and then Brody Kostecki, just to back up what we are saying about how well these Erebus drivers, these young Erebus drivers have done this year, um, rounds out the top 10. So with that, I think it's probably time to talk about this, the, um, the biggest race of the year, so Bathurst. And obviously we're recording this on a Monday night and the track action, if you're watching on Foxtel or KO, is going to be available starting from tomorrow. So we've got practices for... TCR for S5000 for um, for GT World Challenge Australia all kicking off tomorrow. So if you're at work and you've got a spare screen or a second screen, you might want to chuck Foxtel onto the second screen for the next few days because um, it's going to be an absolute festival of speed as Joseph talks to his wife behind the camera. Um, but this is going to be the, the most epic week of racing, I think, in Australian sport for a long time. And there's a lot to talk about. Where would you suggest that we begin, Joey, breaking down the Bathurst 1000? Um, well, I think that the whole idea of this festival of speed is amazing. Like just we have, We've been so, what's the word, robbed of motorsport for the last couple of months. I think that for the last house- year. Yeah, but like we had we had motorsport at the start of the year, and we were thought, oh, we're over this hump, and then now this, <laughs> I think we're talking too early again with this new coronavirus strain that's coming into the country. No, 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 no. But um, <laughs> I mean, the festival of speed, I think, is an amazing idea. We've got TCRs, we've got GTs, they've got S five thousands. Um, I don't know if they've got Transms there, which is my other new like another um category love of mine. Um. I mean, it's going to be, what is it, five days? Five days of constant racing. Um, I mean, I, I'm happy to talk about, about supercars first, but I, I, I think just for, for me, seeing those S5000s go over the top of the mountain is going to be a real, <laughs> something really special to watch. I mean, we haven't seen like an um, uh, open wheeler go across the top since, what was it, um, Jensen Button's. Um, sort of fun run a couple of ten, yeah, ten years ago or something. Yeah. Do, do you guys, just a quick question, do you guys think that motorsport in general in this country has increased in popularity over the last couple of years? Yeah, and I really why, do. Why, why do you think that? Like, I definitely feel that it has, but... Can I, I answer that, that question first? Yeah. Well, I think there's two things. I think the first thing is um, supercars has been a constant I think there's probably arguments to say that it's it's increased its spectacle over the last five years and before that it was in a little bit of a lull, a little bit of a lull. Um, but I think what we are seeing now in Australia is a number of categories that are being introduced to the 
to the racing scene that are quite affordable. I think the first thing is, if we think about TCR, we've obviously spoken to Aaron Cameron about that um, just a few weeks ago, and that's that's become a very viable option for racing. It, the parity is really good, um, but also um, it's, it's a very affordable category as well. I think S5000 is trying to do the same thing, and that's really starting to gain traction also because you've got teams like GRM who are really well-established categories in Australia, you know, pushing hard, number one, to get young drivers in seats and do, number two, to do whatever they can to assist in the, the maintenance of those cars. So that's another thing. I think we're seeing the GT category in Australia um, grow as well. Kind of, it's happening in Europe, so it's, it's taken a little bit of time to trickle to Australia. But I think now the fact that the Australian GT Championship has linked up with World Challenge, which is obviously the SRO Championship that started in Europe, um, is making that more viable as well. So I think what we're seeing is a number of motorsport categories entering the company that are a lot more viable. And a lot of those drivers that tried to make it in supercars that for whatever reason can't due to not having the skill set or just not having the funds have got these other you know categories that they can race in um, even if it's on a part-time level i think that's really what's doing it in us for australia i've got a totally different take on this i've got a i've got a theory well you tell us your well. theory first mate my theory I'm is like, my theory <laughs> touches a bit. look my theory touches a little bit on what anthony said um i think the more we have categories that that, that are popular overseas coming to australia can you know, that, that can only be a good thing. Like, I know how much we all enjoy going up to Bathurst for the um, the Enduro, the GT3 Enduros. But I have to say, there has to be some credence um, given to, you know, the su success or relative success of Australian um, riders, racers, um, drivers in elite categories overseas. Like, you know, Harry's boy, Daniel Ricciardo, um, surely he's you know, surely he brings more attention to this, um, to Australian motorsport and to motorsport enthusiasts. And I, you know, our, our best friend, um, Thriller Miller, um, and and now you know next year with Remy Gardner. Surely, you know the likes of these of these straight. Yep. Um, you know, surely that has that has some pull. Um, on even sorry, just to cut you off, even guys interest like in motorsport even guys like matt campbell i think like going abroad and um what's the other guy we're talking about last week anthony um jackson evans yeah going over if like if you know who they are and then you see them on the world stage it's a big deal as well but i, I McLaughlin. yeah and mclaughlin going to indycar i mean you can't um second guess that but mine's a totally different take i honestly believe this from the um from like every inch of me, if you watch other uh, motorsport from around the world, there is not many oh. categories. No, I'm, I'm going to tell you this is passion now. There are not every many. Every inch of you. Every inch. Are, not... are, we talk, are we still talking about motorsport or? Listen. <laughs> listen, <laughs> Linda, not, listen. There are not many categories who present their product like um, supercars do. And this is this is going to cover everything. If, if you watch... Um, like an international motorsport, the only, I would say the only um, products that you get that are a better show uh, on the television are Formula One and MotoGP and maybe NASCAR. 
in terms of the amount of data that they actually present to the um present to the uh, customer. Maybe work terms, as well, Joe. What was that? Indy. Maybe world endurance as well. No, and I'll tell you why. Because it's not just about the data, and it's not just. <laughs> I'm telling. I'm telling you this. Every five of his business answer. If it's not, it's not about the actual sport. It's about the about the show. The, the V8 supercars have got such a good way of showing the sport in terms of camera angles, curbs, uh, curbside angles, slow mos, uh, in inboard. Um, yeah, uh, cameras. I, I do they've like got, those inboards. They've got um the the cam the camera underneath the um rear tire that shows the um rear shock working. They are very ingenuitive with the way they actually present it, and and this has been sort of getting better over the last couple of years since they've been with uh, Foxtel getting the Foxtel money. So I think that I think that that I was I was going to mention. Do you think that there's you know they lost viewership because that because of moving to Foxtel? I, I don't know, like. I think there was there was merit okay. to having that free to wear. I don't think so, but I'm not finished my point. Give me a second. Sorry. Um, <laughs> and not, I want to piggyback off. Sorry, yeah, this, this is, is really so I've literally so I had an epiphany. They've put together an amazing product to watch, right? Which wasn't the case a couple of years ago. And then ever since supercars then got the rights to showing the Bathurst 12 hour, which was mm. probably a couple of years ago as well, they've mm. brought all that infrastructure onto the biggest international um, motorsport race we hold here in terms of um, non-Formula 1 MotoGP, which is the, now the Bathurst 12-hour. So they've literally just cherry-picked all the good things that they have here, which is world-class, and put it onto a world-class stream that is broadcast internationally. All around the world, yeah. Internationally. Do you, do you also think having t- people like Andretti and you know Zach Brown and all these big international people investing in the sport do you think that's also I, helped i honestly go I, I was talking about the fact that answer harry's these, question though yeah, yeah yeah i am i am going to answer the question um had an epiphany. to answer your question i think no that's not the answer i'm look that's not i don't think that um plays as much of a role however if we think about these categories in europe that i was talking about before tcr gt racing um, that have kind of trickled into Australia over the last couple of years. I think the fact that they they have been so accessible to people in Australia. I mean, if you want to watch GT racing, it's live and free on YouTube. You can watch any G- GT race, you know, live. Same thing with TCR. Um, so it's extremely accessible. I think the fact that we've seen IndyCar now have every race put on Foxtel. A, a similar thing is happening. So I think the fact that there's so much more access to these categories, DTM. yeah, DTM as well. The fact that there's so much more access to these categories means that it's more of a consideration for Australian drivers. And then, like Joseph was saying before about the GT, the um, Bathurst 12 hour. I mean, the first time we went to the 12 hour, we really had no understanding of the, really the concept of GT racing, just how much it was done overseas. We went to that first event and we literally got hooked to it, right? We started following it in Europe. We started following, you know, G-Team, all these other categories of GT racing as well. It was very much a catalyst. And I think video games also plays a huge role in that these days. Because if I look at a GT car and I get interested in the in that particular category, it's very easy for me then to find a game and I can start racing it and buy a simulator and have a bit of Same fun as, as well. One. Same as Formula One. 
Um, so I think those things have actually done a lot for the sport in Australia, but also around the world. The access that people have to number one, watch the event, interact with the event, and then in a weird way, reenact the event themselves um, has done a huge thing for number one, making people more aware of those categories. Number two, broadening their exposure globally because it's not just in Australia that we're seeing a boom in these categories. It's also around the world. And I think Australia, even though it's booming for us now, we're probably a little bit late to the party just because it's taken a little bit of time to trickle down. Um, and then also the fact that I think video games have, have done a huge thing in relation to getting people that can't afford to get into racing or have you know, no interest in doing it and putting money into it, but they can do it virtually. Um, that's a huge aspect as well. And I think the internet, the fact that people can jump on a server now and race against each other, just, you know, keeps fertilizing that particular passion for the, for the sport. I think um, Drive to Survive's had a massive influence too. Oh, I know it's 100%. Formula One based, but I think yeah. it's opened people's eyes to motorsport in general. 100%. Drive to Survive has been probably the biggest, um, I think, like the biggest game changer in terms of mm. just um, making more people aware of motorsport. I mean, yep. I, I, there's a there's a um, podcast I listen to occasionally, and then I saw one of the titles for the YouTube video was about Formula One. I was like, "What are these geese know about Formula One?" And I started listening to it, and it was based all on Drive to Survive. I was like, mm. "Man, I wonder if these guys actually watch the race, like what they think about it, other than just this this TV show." Like, it actually has spread so much um, information. I can tell you, hand on heart, hand on heart, that. In the last 12 months, no lie. Yep, hand on heart, I promise. People oh yeah, this that... part has been so funny. Joseph's <laughs> saying every fibre of his being. Every inch. Yeah, every inch I'll be honest with hand you, on heart. In, in the so past, before drive, before drive <laughs> to Survive, before Drive to Survive, um, you were very much in a niche category of people that 100%. knew anything about Formula One, right? Very much so. Now, in the last literally 12 months, hand on heart, I've probably got 10 people that I know mm. and, and that kind of they're in my circle of friends, family, et cetera, that had no interest in formula and would never, you never would have even considered that they um, would be interested in it that have become diehard fans purely from watching drive to survive. And COVID probably helped that because people were at home. They had three seasons of this show that they could binge. And all of a sudden they're like, this sport is actually awesome. And motorsport is, has a lot more to it than just, the, the quote-unquote people driving around in circles that the uneducated like to throw at us educated well, folk. As an example, I've known Michael for, what, six, seven years now? We had no idea that we both liked motorsport until probably three years ago. Um, Why was that? Again, I felt isolated. Like, I didn't think anyone liked motorsport. I think it was you because know, I bloody came yeah, probably working with you boys. We, we used to argue about football. Um, all the time, you know, the Liverpool Men United sort of rivalry. Were you guys both in the closet? Yeah, yeah. Just yeah, I, I agree. Like, I agree with everything that's been said. I I think social media has a has played a massive role. Like, every, everything's mm. accessible now. You can follow anything on social media. News is in real time. I mean, you guys are talking about Drive to Survive. Like, motorsport, you know, has you could say you could make the case traditionally has had a a, a large male following um but you, you know you look at the, the trends now obviously um there's been large female followings too but uh, you'd you know you could make the case that a lot a lot more 
women, girls um, are getting into the sport as well. Because uh, of the know, pretty boys. You know, and that's not even that's not even a that's true a slide on on you know we're talking about before Harry you're talking about your you know um, your partner being interested in it, you know in Daniel Ricardo for for multiple reasons we can say but that's not something that's uncommon I mean well, I've got, got we got two got sisters. three sisters who all of a sudden follow F1 religiously and had had never mentioned anything about motorsport in their life till about three years ago but this is what I'm talking about the access now. Um, is phenomenal and I suppose that's what I was saying before like Joseph was mentioning about the, the fantastic coverage of supercars with Fox and it's true I mean you watch it it is a fantastic package to watch it, it always has been um, you know brilliant commentary commentary graphics that are fantastic um, in-depth breakdowns of of every aspect of the race but um, you know is that also something that um, you know limits the exposure of supercars as a brand outside of Australia? Because, Anthony, you know, Anthony, you just mentioned that, you know, um, SRO, GT3, you can, I can hop on YouTube, mm. watch some of the biggest races in the world, 24 hours of Spa, mm. you know, we're about to watch the nine hours, the 12 hours of Kyle, of Kyle Army, whatever, whatever it is, 12, nine, I can't nine remember, hours, but nine, nine, hours. nine hours. But, you know, how easy is that? You can just hop onto YouTube, you can stream from YouTube, you know, um, cast it, whatever. I find that brilliant because I don't have to pay a cent. I can watch awesome racing um, that, that maybe, you know, maybe it's not presented, you know, as, as, as well as our, as our supercars package, but it's at a standard that is, you know, very, very high. Um, is that where, you know, supercars has to kind of look to, you know, look to expand in the future to make to make it all access again because I know, we have I, know, to... I know for myself one of the biggest reasons apart from the fact that Holden and Ford were discontinued in supercars that you know I stopped watching was because it wasn't on free-to-wear and, and I know that sounds that might be great sounds silly but I didn't have Fox for a while and I just it just fell off my my radar um so is that something that supercars has to get back does it have to have that greater access to I don't think I don't yeah, you go first. Um, if you look at first and foremost, I think what you said is um, it's it's true. Like when when you take something off free to air, you definitely are um, limiting the amount of eyes that you have on your product. Hundred uh, percent. The reason, <laughs> the funny thing, the reason I got KO uh, Foxtel originally was I wanted Supercars. to be able to I wanted to watch supercars whenever I wanted, but I also wanted to be able to support it in terms of paying for the fox cell coverage that my money i was putting my money where my mouth where my mouth was in terms of i was actually paying to watch it and and um and like i could it wouldn't be on me if <laughs> if the um sport like lost uh revenue or lost um the ability to show itself i think what you're talking about though is, is a different argument it's because um, GT racing, number one, is a cheaper form of racing to do than supercars. The budget is not even comparable, like realistically not even comparable. Um, and the money that it takes for those cars to go racing is brought in through mostly the gentleman driver initiative that's in GT racing, which is one of the um, smartest ways to keep your grids full and keep the sport running. And, Explain that um, for me. Explain that concept of gentleman driver. All right, so gentleman driver is... You're a rich man. You want to race a race car. You pay the entry fee or the, for the drivers to race the car with you because there's in in the structure of the sport there's bronze, bronze like pro M, say pro, yeah, pro and M. M. Yeah. So you need to have you need pro to have M. gentlemen drivers in there to actually 
race the cards you need to have that that ranking you can't just race full pros yeah so the sport is built off this model that you can keep these cars on the grid with the um money brought in by the gentleman driver yeah and the whole philosophy behind the sro gt racing is that we aren't putting on a show for the fans we're putting on a show for the drivers the gentleman drivers and whatever we get after that which is the show for the fans is a um is a sort of like a is a is a bonus for the fans kind of thing. Can I just piggyback off you for a second as well? Yeah. I think that's an awesome point. I just want to extrapolate on that further. The other thing that GT racing has, and if anyone has is listening that has not really gone into G has no interest yet in GT racing, get yourself into that particular it is the golden goose, I think, of motorsport racing in general. Because what you have, and this is something that supercars will always struggle with, is you've got multiple manufacturers that are all participating in this one category and they can bring whatever sports car that they have whether it's a v6 or a v10 or a v12 whatever it might be and they will get that car provided that they can sell the car um and a certain amount of units i think it might be 100 units of that car they will get that car homologated the other thing that supercars the other thing that supercars doesn't have that gt racing as you've got the gentleman driver aspect so if i want to go racing for a year let's say the budget is i don't know a million dollars i don't know if that's true but i'm just saying imagine it's a million dollars they can fund that they've got the team and the infrastructure to do so what also exists in gt racing is huge manufacturer support for teams and they will obviously provide the pro driver for an amateur team to obviously assist in that racing too. And there's, I think what you've got in GT racing now is a very strong um, connection between the category and those manufacturers in a, in a very real way. So you've got, you know, Porsche investing and obviously the, the, the pro team lineups, obviously putting money into the sport in that way as well. So they're getting a lot of money into that sport so that they don't really need money coming in from payer revenue if that makes sense money's coming in from the manufacturers and from the people that are, the money's coming in from the people that are driving whereas in supercars um the money that's coming in from the tv is needed to keep people driving if yeah, that makes I, sense. I think so there's kind of a flipped I think, system i think there's something to say when, when you've got high like historic um high powered brands competing um, with a balance of performance car or balance of performance cars that um, compete so evenly um, at you know historic tracks, uh, historic circuits, it's, it's it is it I'm is. Gonna, I'm going to say this, I'm going to say this quickly. There is no category, and this is true. There is no category that has so many different um, different cars. And this is not like the GT. I'm not talking about GT. I'm talking about supercars. Each car is built by the team and they and they and they look like holdens and fords at the moment not mustangs and camaras soon but at the moment there is no category that has so many different um different um built cars in different um workshops that run as evenly as supercars supercars as a spectacle in terms of lap times for teams and and cars on the day that can actually win a race in terms of that kind of championship is second to none like if you if you go through the the list of cars on the grid and go, if the circumstances are right, this car can win, this car can win, this car can win, this car can win. There's nothing like it before you isn't start. That, 
isn't that isn't that fascinating because i actually never knew that there you go um but isn't that interesting that in supercars so so just explain to me um before we explain that yeah go for it before we explain it sorry so that's going to change isn't it yeah it's going to change and that's and that's a good segue into what we wanted to talk about as well so up to this point the r d that is involved in supercars is you know the figures on the, the money that's spent on it is astronomical right they're obviously developing their own cars they're developing their own engines everything that is being put onto that supercar is bespoke to the team that's designing it they own the ip etc what will happen with gen 3 which makes it a lot more affordable and this is probably if you make racing more affordable then you might have the chance later on to make it free to wear um is you can have a lot more parts on the on the supercar that are that are um, uniform. So for example, the engines that are being produced, no longer a team's gonna have their own engine chops to build and you know rebuild their own engines. The engines are gonna be rebuilt by supercars or uh, someone that builds the engine for supercars. You take 300,000 grand or 300 grand off the overall price of running an engine um, just in a season, or I don't know if it's the overall price to purchase a unit, um, but you've got a lot more parts now that are going to be we purchase them and use them as opposed to we have to design them and we have so, to R&D them and develop them and improve them, et cetera. So at the moment, this is sort of how it was described on Supercars a couple of weeks ago. So at, at the moment, let's say there's uh, four teams that run Commodores. It's, you've got the Ampol Racing, which is Triple Eight. You've got uh, Walkinshaw, you've got Erebus, and you've got Brad Jones Racing you can't pull one of the engines out of one of those cars and put it in another one. It won't fit because it's not just the engine. It's also the bottom of the engine, how the air box attaches to it, how the sumps attach to it. They're Fire all moves. bespoke to, it's all bespoke to the team. So unless you're a customer of like Walkinshaw and which is Erebus is, but the only for the engine, even they, even they can't fit a Walkinshaw engine into the car anymore because the whole, even the way it connects to the gearbox is all bespoke. So now, with the new rules coming in in the new Gen 3 era, you'll be, be able to pull out the engine off a Walkinshaw car and drop it straight into a AAA car and it'll fit straight, uh, straight in there. Which in some ways I feel is, is sad. I'm sad about it because the um, sort of the, the engineering prowess and even stuff like Walkinshaw is very famous for having engines that can um that are very good on fuel so on long races like bathurst and clips and stuff like that they always have really really good um fuel mileage fuel economy and fuel economy is is second to none so you're going to lose stuff like that which is sort of give and take in this whole new new idea or this whole new way that supercars is going to be done but at the same time if you're cutting out 40 percent of the of the um running prices of the of the sport it's going to make it a lot more of a um, of a enticing uh, as, uh, pr- uh, not what's the word enticing prospect. What's the word for getting new people into the sport? Intriguing prospect. Yeah, prospect for getting new teams and keeping teams in the sport. Hundred percent. Like so, you can't disagree with that. So just just to clarify, how long has how long have supercars been like that? Bespoke. What like bespoke engines? Yeah, since the beginning of time. Yeah, forever. So, like so, so they've always, a, so even you know, back in Scafie's days and things like that. Yeah. Uh, so you back, know, so none back of the, then, none of the Commodores had the same engine. The top, or anything like they had that. The, the top chassis. end of it. 
they come from the same like the engine is built of the same of the same base engine but how everything attaches to it like honestly one of the best things to watch is last year's kelly racing uh, web doco where they talk about building the mustang and the whole process of getting the top half of the um mustang engine uh homologated then put onto the bottom half of their old um, nissan engine because it's not that's just their their engineering and they fit it on there and it shows the whole process that goes through and it's it's real fascinating um there's a really good um there's a really good i think three or four part series i think by crompton um larkham sorry larkham Larkham, um explaining the gen 3 engines and how they're going to you know how they've are different and how they can they've, all be retrofitted to, dip, to, they've, the, they've, to they've different met. cars. Yeah, really interesting. Um, it's currently yeah. on YouTube now. I should put the link up if we can. One other, one other thing, people like. Yeah. Um, one other thing that seems to be a bee in people's bonnet, and it's also the case in like Formula One with there being the new regulations and you know more parts that aren't manufactured by teams to cut costs. Right? People are always worried that cutting costs and making more parts. Um, uniform amongst the categories is going to in some way dilute the racing i think what we can see now in other categories around the world whether it be gt racing or tcr or even something like s5000 now is that even if you've got a category where cars uh i mean i buy the car and i run the car in whatever setting it is right that has not in no way diluted motorsport in general you've still got teams that perform well You've probably got more teams that perform well, um, but the racing is just as intriguing, to be perfectly honest with you. And a lot of the cutting, a lot of the things that are being cut, a lot of the costs that are being cut, we're talking about creating fractions of a second of performance where they can be all uniform anyway. Um, so I think it's going to do great things for the sport. Hopefully it allows the sport to put a little bit more of the money that they will hopefully be saving and making back into the fans, making it more even more accessible to them. We've obviously seen that even this year, Supercars has a new um, partnership agreement with Channel 7 to get more races on free-to-air. So obviously it's not every race, but it's a lot more than it had been in the past. And that's the first time in a long time that we've had any other races apart from Bathurst on free-to-air. So they're obviously making strides there to kind of engage that market that won't purchase uh, you know, pay TV or whatever it might be. So I think in general, that's a really good thing for supercars. And if anything, Gen 3 is going to make it a lot more like some of those um, some of those categories that we've been talking about now where, you know, if I can afford um, a car to purchase a car, it probably brings more teams into the sport because we've got, what, 24 cars on the grid now. And I think supercars is, you know, wanting to have 30 cars on the grid, hopefully, and we've already seen, you know, people like the Peter Addison, who owns Boost Mobile, talking about purchasing a team. He's been sponsoring um, teams for quite a long time, but once Gen Three comes out, he's ready to, to, um, you know, purchase a car, purchase a team, just because it's a lot more financially viable. So that's another great thing to see um, with supercars as well. Now, before we wrap up, we probably need to just briefly Harry, talk Harry had about. Oh, sorry. I think he was pointing up at an icon that we we're going to put a link in. Was that yeah. right? Oh, okay. I think I think he was just pointing up because I was I mentioned that we should throw that like and yeah. those like and clips up. But quickly speaking of Gen Three, so I was doing some reading um, on the new technical regs, um, mm. and one of the things that stood out was the fact that the the chassis are going to be universal. Yeah. Um, 
and that that's the one that's being developed is going to be like similar in size to the road going versions of the cars. Yep, yep. Um, firstly, do you think that's going to entice more brands like mm-hmm. Toyota, who's seen their motorsport division grow in the last couple of years with the GR and the GR racing? Um, the chassis has been sorry. The chassis has been universal before this. Like the, the chassis at the moment are universal. They're just built for those bigger sedans. And all yeah, they're saying now yeah. is, is they're dropping the. They're bringing the it down. Height. Yeah. yeah. And, so you and can fit more chassis on it. And I think they're what they're saying is the um, a lot of the the key panels and glass on the on the cars yeah. are going to be the same as the road going version of the car. Yeah, so a right. lot of it is kind of tailored more towards real life. So do you think teams like Toyota, um, I can't think of any other manufacturer at the top of my head. I know mm. Nissan's dumped out recently, but do you think... I think Nissan could come back. The sad yeah. thing is, if you think, I was thinking about this, the new uh, 400Z would fit on these regs really well. The new uh, the new Toyota Supra would fit on these regs mm. really well. Stinger. Um, even like a... BMW all M4. the cars that have left, but even like I think the categories that have left. So Nissan would fit better on there. The old Mercedes, uh, Mercedes would fit better on there. And you're going to see the Mustang is going to fit better on there. So these, um, this whole um, chassis, ch- chassis change has been being spoke about for so long. And, they, and obviously this stuff takes a long time to change. Um, but it's sort of a bit of, I hope we can see more brands coming because I think this is what we needed five years ago in and it's five years too late. I think or hindsight yeah. is a powerful tool. I guess my is, yeah. Sorry, keep going. Yeah, I, I just guess my question also is like the Holden and Ford kind of rivalry is now mute. I guess because the whole point of that was the cars were built here in Australia by by us. Um, yeah, now that they're going to be Camaras and Mustangs, it's not really hasn't got that tribal factor anymore. I think you've still got a good. The We've had many years of Mustang versus Camaro in Australia, in, in Australian yeah. touring cars as well. Mm, prior to that. I think it's not going to, I think the fact that there's still a GRM, a GM, sorry, base and a Ford base is not going to, I don't think that will change a whole lot to be perfectly honest with you. And I think if anything, from what we've been hearing about from Ford and GM, they as um, manufacturers are both, you know, recommitting and reinvesting in the sport, which is something that hasn't happened for quite a while. So obviously since mm-hmm. Ford's brought the new Mustang in, they've invested somewhat. But I think now that we're seeing the Mustang look a lot more like the cars that they're trying to sell on the road, um, you know, teams are a lot more interested in that investment and and kind of getting involved. And hopefully, as Joe was saying, the fact that, I mean, if you look at the Mustang now, it looks like a bit of a bastard car, to be honest with you. It's yeah, it too does. high for... What it looks from like the on the front road. from the back. Yeah, yeah. The, the rear end looks weird. I hate it. I hate yeah. it. So hopefully the fact that the chassis is going to suit a lot mm. more of the, the sedans that we see on the road where they've kind of got a little bit of a lower height to the car it's, than uh, they, have, they have in the past, yep. um, that should hopefully entice more people to, to you know, invest in the category. Regardless. That's why, that's why everyone lo- – I mean, that's why I think, you know, we grew up loving V8 supercars because it looked like – the Commodores and XR8s that you'd see on the road, you know, mm. potted up and with liveries on. Um, yeah. You know, you could relate to the car. It was very easy to take sides. It was tribalist, like it was very tribal. Um, and I think it lost, it kind of lost its way. It's it kind of lost its way a bit. So I think any kind of moves to making them look more like the road version of, it, of a car is, is positive. 
another thing on that what you're saying harry is um there's it's there's there's murmurings of supercars building their own engine as like a third option um in terms of being able to in, if a if a manufacturer wants to come in but doesn't want to have to commit to like building its own engine just you have a homologated engine from supercars you can just drop it in there we've seen that in british touring cars for a couple of years that you can sort of just get this homologated engine it's built to the um, power specs and just drop it and just literally drop it into the car even now even if you've got the, a um, how, how even super... if you've got a team that for example let's say walkinshaw didn't want to run a camaro and then they obviously yeah. purchased let's just say hypothetically they purchased some bmw m4s and bmw said yeah you can run our chassis and supercars um they could buy that car run the panels the same way they had if it fits onto the the base chassis then they would be able to just throw that supercar engine in without having to pay for the development or anything like that and then you've got a bmw racing in in supercars as well so it makes it that's what i'm saying with how supercars are now doing all the um the spec work on these engines getting a third option or even you could even theoretically just drop one of these Camaro or Mustang engines into it as well. But the, um, the way these engines are being done by supercars is so pinpoint. Like if you watch the thing, the um, center of gravity is the same, the power, the, the, um, the power and torque curves are the same, like the, the possibilities, well, they were always endless, but are even, um, even better suited for that kind of stuff and keeping the um keeping the, the cost down for new manufacturers. So are you gonna say T? Yeah, something like that. You know what? We've supposed this is being sold as a bloody Bathurst review and we've said about three sentences about Bathurst. So let's try to quickly preview the great race before Michael's bedtime. Um yeah come on boys seriously but got to okay. to his finches. So <laughs> This is the greatest race of the year, and we've been talking. We haven't spoken enough about it. So, um, Bathurst starting at a later time this year for the first time in a while. I think, think it's starting at midday. It's probably going to finish uh, at the crack of six o'clock. I think just to get all the racing in that we need to. We've got a probably the, crack the biggest of six. We'll finish at seven. Oh, I should. Oh, you reckon it'll it's finish that late? Yeah, hours. usually, I guess usually finishes at got, around five. The fact that we've got so much sunlight now because it's so late in the year is probably um, useful as well. Um, all right, where do we want to begin with this? Joey, let's start with you. I'm going to ask you a question. What three driver lineups do you think are going to perform the strongest? Do you want me to share the driver lineups on the screen for you guys? You can if you want, yeah. I'm going to share my screen so you can have a look at well, fancy driver oh, Actually, lineups. no, don't do that, Anthony, because that's going to stuff up the um the recording, isn't it? Ah. The recording time? Uh, it shouldn't because you've still got no, it will, it'll still no, be on gallery does. view. It'll be on gallery view. Uh, the recording shows what you're showing, so you'll be fine. What you can do is you can make the screen even larger and make us smaller. It. I'll just do the stop share then. All right, uh, that'll do. Um, all right. Just pull out your phone and do it. Tell me what teams. <laughs> what what are the strongest driver lineups that you can see coming think, into uh, this weekend? I think always Triple um, Eight has always got amazing lineups. <laughs> Yeah, number one, they always the first in. They always get great lineups. That's, They've got that's, Van Gisbergen um, and Tanda in the um, in the 90, 97, Is it? Yeah, and then they've yeah. got Win Cup and Lounge in the eighty eight. What else? What more do you want? I mean, I'd love to yeah. see Win Cup and Lounge go out with an, with one more, one more dub. I mean, 
Wind Cup sort of been shortchanged at Bathurst a little bit. He's got four, I think, or three or four, but he definitely could or should have more with the um, amount of championships he's got. I like and the Chaz Mostert. Chaz Mostert, Lee Holdsworth lineup looks like Dude, a, I love, a killer. I love that. I love that lineup. I think um, Walkinshaw getting uh, Lee into the team has been, is, a, is a real um, sign of intent for them. Um, especially you know, they've had they've had Luff, who's been really good um, with play last year. Um, I think he's still with he's still going to be he's in there. Still going to um, be with Bryce Ford. Forward, yeah, yeah. But that that Holdsworth and and um, Chaz lineup, especially just how that car has been doing this year and how dialed in Chaz has been this year, I think that definitely is a. I don't know if you'd call it a dark horse, but definitely is mm. one of the lower favorites. That's for sure. I'll give you two dark horses that I think are going to be. Epic lineups. Number one, Scott Pye and James Golding. Yeah. For Team 18, but then also the other Team 18 lineup of Winterbottom and Caruso. I think Team 18 have yeah. two bulletproof lineups, which is really good to see for them. And then obviously we've got the two leading Tickford lineups of um, Waters and Moffat. I mean, Moffat's always strong at Bathurst, and particularly Courtney and Thomas Randall. That's probably the lineup that I'm most excited to see, to be honest with you, because you've got a, a, a wily veteran and then someone who's got all the promise in the world. And, and you know, since his debut at Bathurst with Perkett a couple of years ago, um, has only, you know, just shown how much more capable he's become in a supercar since that particular time. If any, can I, can I just say before, yeah. before we go, supercars have just posted, I think it was saying four hours ago. Yeah. Um, the Gen 3 Camaro and Mustang, you might already know this, will be officially unveiled on, on Friday. Yeah. So yeah. this Friday. And also the, some of the images on, on their Facebook page are pretty pretty awesome. I'm just looking at the the Camaro now and it looks hot. So Yeah, they're going to look a lot more like that. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, another thing that they're going to be doing we, that we didn't talk about is they're going to have less downforce than they do now, which means oh, yeah. they're going to be... Longer braking kilos less of... longer braking zones and hopefully more overtaking. Um, but yeah, so I think there's a few strong lineups at Bathurst just to finish with. We've got I was, there was one on the top of my tip of my tongue when you started talking, and I can't think of it now. A lineup. Oh yeah. Like I think that oh um David Reynolds and um Yulden. I think that yeah. one really can't I, know, be I think Yulden's a bit I think Yulden's a little bit like I think his Bathurst their Bathurst championships was probably his the end of his use by date to be honest with you because the last two Bathurst since since then a lot of mistakes. I think one um, thing that one thing that is really evident at the moment is that there's an, there's too many good drivers in Australia for the actual seats in supercars. So you're getting some of the strongest Bathurst lineups we've seen in a long time, just because there are um, not enough seats for the drivers that we who actually could be. Um, racing in supercars at the moment. Like we've seen that even for guys like Randall who come in in these wild cards and perform better than a lot of the uh, mainstays, even like Tan, like Tanda and um, Lowndes and all this kind of stuff. Like you see, even when they're doing their GT racing and stuff, they're still at the top of, at, at the top of their potential. So um, I think we're real spoiled. There's no, like w- once upon a time, it was like, oh, get the second driver in the car at the same time or, strategize around that it's 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 such a harder task at the moment what's going to be actually interesting to see is there's been a lot of secondary drivers that haven't had much seat time this year they've 
you've seen mm. a high level of concentration of them getting in any, any car that they can over the last couple of weeks to start getting some t- seat time. But with the fact that so many of them are going to be racing in other categories this weekend as well, uh, you know, whether it be GTs or TCRs as well as in the supercar, I think what we might have come race time is some secondary drivers that are, you know, just as game fit as some of the drivers that they're going to be teaming up with. So you've got, you might have a lineup, you know, Holdsworth and, and Mostert, whereas, you know, we're going to see the most competitive racing from the co-driver that we might've seen in a long time, I think. And I think. Another thing is that. So you go. Keep going. It's okay. Another thing that, that we also haven't thought about is that there's only one endurance race this year. Like there's no getting stuff ready at Sandown or um, the Gold Coast, anything like that. Like this, this is your one shot, you know what I mean? So like the teams have no um, sort of practice race, if you want to call it like a Sandown, a practice race. There's no get ready for it. Like Sandown actually gives the, co- gives the co-drivers a lot of um, seat time usually because they have their own dedicated race on Saturday. Um, so that's not happening this year. So that's going to be um, another sort of, variable that we haven't seen before like they're jumping in with no uh real race seat time we against had only each other this year wasn't it the bathurst 500 at the start of the year yeah but that's two 250 yeah. races like in terms yeah. of the actual enduro race no backup drivers in that. so there's no sand down anymore i know adelaide no so sand down's that, coming it, back as a sand down's a, a sprint event now so are there any are they going to be moving forward any 500 pure 500 races anymore? What do you the mean Gold 500 Coast? as in a one race 500? So remember, we, so remember when we used to have that Adelaide um and Sandown the, those two 500s in the, the season. The Gold Coast is still a two 300 races. Two, it's 600 eh, the Gold Coast. Yeah. 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 So the Gold Coast is still two 600 races so you've got two 300 um, races. Sorry, yeah, two 300 so you've got the the co-drivers racing and I think I don't know. Were they saying Newcastle's going to become a 500? No, they're going to have, they're going to have a 500. They're going to have a 500 um, enduro race at the bend. That's right. At the they're bend. going to have Bathurst, and they're going to have their uh, Gold Coast 600, which is two 300 kilometer yeah, so, races. So That's going to be the pure, new one, um, enduro cup. So one pure 500. I wouldn't yeah, mind going to the Gold Coast race. Yeah, it's pretty. I happy. love Gold Coast. Gold Coast one, yeah. one of the. Mm-hmm. Best oh, street circuits. It's amazing. Trip next road trip, the pod can road trip to. New, I'd like to road trip to Newcastle if you guys were up for it. I think yeah, it's early. It's first race ago. of the year next year. Yeah, we've got, to send, we've got to get rid of some more of those cards. Newcastle, Bathurst, twelve hour, and F one. We're going to get rid of all those. We're going to start send, getting some of those um business cards out there. Um, but just yeah, just to finish up, men, it's going to be a great race. There's probably a chance that there's going to be a bit of rain as well, which just creates an even greater spectacle for the Bassett's 1000. Um, and we can probably some, do a little... Throw some gasoline on the fire. Well, yeah, would, they, would they red flag it like they did at Sydney Motorsport Park? Not I found they out stopped... about Sydney Motorsport Park, why they red flagged it, which is... I can't believe it, to be honest, either. More they, of... don't have, they don't have designated wet tyres in supercars. <laughs> the wet tyres, they run at intermediates. And because oh, okay. the... And because the um the standing water was so much and it was coming down so quick, they have to red flag it. So but what's I mean, that? What, what happens of... at the top of the mountain where it's all running down and collecting? That's the point? beauty of Bathurst. Water doesn't pool at Bathurst; it runs. 
It just went yeah, straight guess. off the mountain down the mm. hill. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. I think we'll leave it there, man. So we do have F1 next week. Yes, yeah, we Jetta. So we've got Jetta next week. That's a conversation in and of itself. So we'll have a review of that <laughs> race next weekend. We'll, we'll do a bit of a review of Bathurst as well uh, and yep. get that out to you after the race. Please give it a watch. And also, please keep sharing the podcast, like, liking um, and following on our socials if you aren't doing so already. We might Most even important. discuss... I'd like to discuss the legacy of Frank Williams next year, uh, next week in the oh, F1 yeah, we podcast didn't even, as well. We didn't even talk about it. Um, yeah. I mean... Rest in peace. Rest in peace. And yeah, I think we'll we'll have a bit of a discussion about the legacy he leaves in the sport because really that's a legacy that can't be underrated. And strong ties to Australia. Alan Jones. Mark Webber. Mark Webber. Mark Webber. Sam Michael. Nice tribute. Sam Michael. Sam Michael, that's right. Nice tribute post, Harry. Thanks, mate. All right, man. I think we'll leave it there. Have a great week, guys. Thank you very much. Enjoy the 1,000. Indeed, I will. Thanks, fellas. All right, boys. Have a good one. Yeah.